walking in a country road And I've been chasing after my shadow Welcome back to the Camino Podcast. I'm Dave Whitson. This is episode 15 and the first in a series. I've been working for a while on putting together a series of interviews that focus on essentially rewalking the Camino Frances. In a lot of the pilgrim interviews I do, there's a thematic focus. We really look into a few big picture issues. But I wanted to go a little deeper into the walk and particularly shorter sections of the walk. And that's what this first episode will start and others down the road will look to pick up. So we'll have two interviews in this episode. The first is with Kathy Diaz and the second is with Rebecca Gallo, both veterans of the Camino Frances. As I record this, uh, Kathy just completed her second Camino Frances today, and Rebecca completed her second one a year ago. So they both have uh, valuable perspectives to share. And what we've done is, with each person, we just focused on a three-day segment of the Camino Frances and had a conversation. It wasn't a formal interview. There were no questions planned in advance. We just sort of talked through it one day at a time, one town at a time, sharing recollections, highlights, other thoughts about that segment of the walk. The hope is that for those who have walked, it gives you a chance to sort of relive the experience with us. And for those who haven't walked, it allows you to start thinking a little bit more about the places that you'll be walking through, hopefully very soon. So that's the concept, and I I hope you like it. The first segment with Kathy will go from Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port to Pamplona slash Cisour-Ménor because depending on the guide that you look at, they may suggest that you stay in one or the other of those two places. And then Rebecca and I pick it up from there and we carry on to Los Arcos. So all told, we cover six segments, stages, often highlighted in the guidebooks. Before we jump into it, I'd just like to point out that while I have a couple of other segments lined up, there are others that are wide open. So if you had a particularly moving experience or you look back very fondly on any of these legs upcoming of the Camino Frances, please get in touch. The segments from Burgos to Carrion de los Condes and from Carrion to León, so basically the Meseta, those are taken. But everything else is available, so if you'd like to help pick up the narrative from Los Arcos or carry it from Santo Domingo into Burgos, that would be great. That would help set up the next episode. So get in touch if you're interested, CaminoPodcast at gmail.com. And with that, stay tuned to hear from Kathy and Rebecca on the first two stages, six stages, two chunks of the Camino Frances. Thanks for listening. I'm speaking with Kathy Diaz of Santa Cruz, California. Kathy is a a recent pilgrim, and she's going to talk with me a little bit about the opening stages of the Camino Frances. Kathy, thanks for coming on and tell us a little bit about your pilgrimage experience. You bet. My pleasure. Well, my pilgrimage experience 
um, started this past April and May when David and I walked the Camino Frances. But before I even talk about that, I always have to talk about or feel I want to talk about, like, how I even learned about it and felt inspired. And the way that happened was the documentary, Walking the Camino, Six Ways to Santiago, came through Santa Cruz, California, where I live. Mm. And it just so happened that the woman who produced it and directed it had lived with me a number of years earlier when she was going through a difficult time in her life. And she left here, yeah, really crazy, and she left here and told me she was going to walk across Spain. And I'm a walker, and I love the idea, but I just couldn't even imagine what she was even talking about. So um, she left, and she walked, and when she came back, people begged her to (laughs) um, do a documentary on it. And she was a documentarian at the time, and at first she didn't want to because it was such a personal experience, but she did, thank goodness, because... I love the documentary, and so do others. So when she came through town, I went to see the documentary because I wanted to support her. And when David and I walked, and I got to see her and say hello and hug her and all that kinds of stuff. And when we were walking to the car, I said to David, I want to do this. And this was April 21st, 2014, and he said yes. And um, that's what he did. We flew into Paris. He had never been in Paris before, so we were there for about five or six days. And then we took a train and had to take a bus to St. John (laughs) and got there on April 14th, about 9 o'clock, and um, went straight to the pilgrim's office. And then we're walking by like 10 or 10.15, and I'm like looking around, no, no, St. John is so cute, I want to stay here for a little while. And David, I've learned that once he gets started, he starts. And he keeps going until we stop at wherever we're staying. <laughs> so, like, I had to, like, run up and catch up with him and keep going. And um, it was, from the very beginning, it was just amazing. So here we are in St. John, and I, being the person who I am, who likes to find out about lots of things and connect with people, had already had a list of, I don't know, 15 people that I knew for, through APOC that were going to be walking sometime in April hmm. while we were walking. And so there we are, walking out of the pilgrim's office, and out came three women from Santa Cruz wow. that I didn't know that they were going to be there. So that was like the beginning and um, of bumping into people that would recognize me or I'd recognize them from APOC, and this goes on all the way through to Santiago and Finestiere and things like that. So the standard stage one is Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port to Roncevalle, and you mentioned that you, you didn't sleep in Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port overnight, right? Uh, we did not. We were just there for a few minutes, got our credentials stamped, bumped into some people from Santa Cruz as a surprise, <laughs> and then off we were to Orison. Yeah, that's a very quick turnaround. How was? Uh, but you had no trouble just jumping into the pilgrim office, getting your credentials, and being on your way. No trouble, except for psychologically. I was looking around at this cute town. I'm thinking, I want to stay here for a little bit longer. But David has this way of like, once he gets started, he's just like, boom, wants to keep going. He's told me later that it's because <laughs> he's scared he's not going to get there, so he just wants to go and not stop till we get there. So 
off we went to Orison, straight up that hill in the heat, in the heat, in the heat. And the thing is now, every time we do a hill, whether it's any time for the rest of the next 40, 45 days, or here in San Cruz, California, we'll say, this is like another Orison. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny thing. I've had very different experiences in San Jean over the years. My first time... I took the train in and I got in on the last train. I sort of stumbled half asleep through the darkness, managed to make it to the pilgrim office, which was like the one light on in the town at that hour, got a credential, got into the municipal albergue, collapsed into a bed and then woke up rolled out of bed and started walking up the mountain the next morning. So like I, I, I literally had no time in the daylight in Saint Jean and then I've also had days where I spend like 10, 12 hours there and um, and love getting to hang out up in the castle on the hill and sort of stroll up and down the cobblestone road down to the, the river and sit there and hang out. It's It really is a, a beautiful village to spend an afternoon in. It is. So this year when we go back April, <laughs> April 8th, and we're going to be in St. John April 10th, and not go to Arasan until April 12th. So I get to do all that you just said. <laughs> nice. The, there, there is um, this, this question now uh, about whether it's, it's necessary, it's important to go overnight in Orison or, or even Junto on the way up instead of going all the way up and over and back down in one night. And could you talk a little more about the advantages for you in your mind of sleeping in Orison? Well, um, I, I think the advantage in my mind, and probably other people's mind, and for sure David's, David had no desire to do all the way up to Orison and then keep going up to the top of the Pyrenees and back down like 15, 17 miles. And since we don't need to, there's no reason to do that. The other thing I'll say is I'm really the one, at least up until the Camino, that I was the one who was like the exerciser, and David did these things with me, but... Um, so I was just grateful he was doing it, so I wasn't going to push him to do anything he didn't want to do. But now I would say to anybody, even to those like people that do 18, 20 miles a day and all those other people that we met on the Camino like that, that stopping at Arasan just really gives it a very rich experience. I've heard that this does happen to some people if they stay in St. John, but obviously it didn't to yours, first one, yep. that when we have dinner, we all have dinner in this big room, and there's 40 of us and these three long tables, and we're all eating in a community and getting to know each other. And then Panchita, this adorable girl, stands up who works there and says, okay, now what I want you to do is stand up and say your name, where you're from, and why you decide to do this and what your goal is. So each person dis does that. So I get to find out about Julie and John and how he had dropped her cell phone in the, <laughs> in the river that day. And I get to hear from this Denmark couple how he didn't really want to do it, but she's been wanting to do it for 20 years. And it goes around like that. And yeah, I remember some, and I don't remember others. But over the course of the next 5, 6, 10, 12, 40, 45 days, we then we bump into these people. Some of them days later, like, hi, Julia, how are you? Did you get another cell phone? <laughs> or maybe, maybe like all the way in Santiago, I see somebody for the first time since there. And it's amazing. Yeah, it is great. And that is something that you can get at the Bellari Hostel in Saint-Jean, where you have a, a very similar conversation and opening. But but I agree, having that foundation, the opportunity to establish some of those initial relationships is a, is a great thing to have at the beginning of the pilgrimage. Right. 
And there's no reason to really, we're walking across Spain, so we don't have to kill ourselves. Might as well enjoy it, too. <laughs> I mean, the one thing I would say is it is kind of satisfying. You know, I've done both. I've stayed in Orizone, and I've gone up and down in one swoop. It is kind of satisfying to go all the way up and over and yes. down in the same yes, day. Of course. Uh-huh. So I, uh, I I do think that that appeals to some and and um, that that is that is lost a little bit if you stay in Orisome because those first sure. eight kilometers are definitely yes. the hardest of the uphill. Yes, yes, yes. And then the other thing is also it depends on people's timing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's lots of people that really only have 35 days. Yep. And so uh, and also those are the people that can really do 17, 18 miles and they're fine. So yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Uh, climbing up over the Pyrenees. Um, did you have clear skies? We had clear skies. It was so windy. Oh, it was so, so windy that um, Noelia from Argentina, her cell phone dropped yep. and it cracked. So there it was cracked, you know, from then on. And I stayed to the left because I was scared I was going to fall <laughs> off on the right. And it was so windy that I kept on screaming, God, God, please push the wind behind <laughs> us, not in front of us. It was crazy windy. But we did it, and then we got to the top, and there was snow at the top. Nice. That, um, we just had to walk through. It wasn't snowing or anything mm-hmm. like that, but that was sort of fun and great pictures, of course. Um, and then I learned that there were two ways to come down. We didn't know this then. Yeah. So when we're coming down, we see people walking in another direction, and I, the helper, start screaming, No, no, this way, <laughs> this way. Well, it turns out we took the steep way, yeah. and they took the more flat roadway. So they were the ones who got there sooner than us. There they were waiting for us. And then we walked in just, it was such a straight downhill. But it's so fun in the, in the middle of those <laughs> tall trees. Just, uh, it's so, so quiet as you descend. It is. Yes, yes, because nobody else is on that route. <laughs> but yes, 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 yes. But again, this April, we're going to try the other one. Yep. <laughs> This is the this is the uh, the difference when uh, you're walking with high schoolers uh, who have uh, totally uh, springy knees that you can just go bounding down that steep downhill and uh, and and laugh and 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 hope at the same time that nobody dies. So right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it's true about the springy knees. It's true. I don't have knee problems, yep. so it's it's not a problem. But um, actually, I ended up having a knee problem during the Camino. But anyway, yeah. I digress. What do you remember? What are your first memories of walking into Ronce Valle? Well, just walking in and finally we're seeing like a building and we're at some place and we're just <laughs> like, oh my goodness, we're here. Yep. Um, that was just like the getting to the town and seeing the sign. Mm-hmm. And of course, taking a picture like, oh, we made it to Ronce Valle. And then we walked into the building, this big, huge municipal building. And of course, we saw some people that we recognized and yay, we're happy to see them. Mm -hmm. And these five Danish men were there, one Danish woman that they come and they volunteer every year for a few weeks. And it was so nice and clean and new. And there were five floors and probably like a hundred bunk beds on each floor. And Mm -hmm. each floor had two bunk beds in a little like cubicle. So David and I were in one, and then this woman from Germany and another woman from Italy were next to us, and then the bathrooms were down the hall. And I, who am a highly social person, <laughs> loved every minute of it. I bet. It's a great <laughs> space, and it's just a, it's such a really dramatic 
introduction to the pilgrimage that here is this massive old real collegiata this this huge um, institution that has been providing shelter to pilgrims for you know almost a, a thousand years at this point and it has one of the best uh, early gothic churches anywhere in Spain to go and hang out in did you go to the pilgrim mass that night we didn't. We didn't. Um, we went, I think, to the early dinner or something like that um, at the Posada right next door. It's a tricky thing. They have so many people that they have to run through dinner in the very few restaurants there. That it's, yes. It's, yes, 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 yes. We only went to a few pilgrim masses. We went to many, many churches. But yeah. I think this time around I'm going to go to more pilgrim masses. It's one of the um, the things that people look forward to in Ronce Valle, the pilgrim blessing that occurs in the church in the evening, but as you note, it's there are hundreds of pilgrims staying there in a night, and this is not a this doesn't this is not even a town. This is um, this is a oh, hamlet. Oh yes, this yes, is... <laughs> yes, yes. There's only this huge albergue, one yeah. posada that they have to like have you come in in shifts: five thirty one shift, six thirty the next shift, and it, it's a, and, and that's it. It's it's hysterical, but they're there for the pilgrims. There's no doubt about that. Yep. So how was how was your first night in uh, an albergue on the road? How how was the sleeping experience? Well, first of all, Orison still was an albergue, oh, even yeah, though it was true. only like three rooms. And much in smaller. that room, there were um, there were three bunk beds, so we were two, four, six people in that room. So it was an albergue. How was it in this big, huge municipal <laughs> albergue? Um, Again, I'm so social. I was just like so happy. I'm like walking up and down the hallway looking for people that I recognized <laughs> and knew and talking to new people in the bathroom and things like that. So I, I loved every minute of it. It was clean. Um, they had these little locks where you could put your things and lock it and you could lock your cell phone in there. Um, I, I loved the whole thing. Yeah. It was great. And then there was one area downstairs where everybody would conjugate because there was just cell phone coverage in that, like, 12-foot area, and we were, like, <laughs> joking about it. Like, if more people come, we're not going to get so much cell phone coverage. From Ronce Valle, the two major American pilgrim guidebooks disagree. So um, Briarly has pilgrims continue from there onto Lara Soana, and uh, uh, Dintamin and Landis suggest uh, going just to Zubiri. And what did you do? We went to Zubiri. We used Riley's book a lot, and mm -hmm. we loved it, and we're going to use it again. I, I even emailed him during the Camino, and he emailed me back the next day. It was very sweet. Wow. But um, we went to Zubiri, and when we were um, going to Zubiri, there happened to be like a man in a truck at the top of the mountain or the top of the hill <laughs> trying to sell us to go to his place. And at first, I speak Spanish, mm -hmm. and at first um, I was just like, I'm not going to put up with any of this baloney. But then I thought, you know, he's trying to do a business. So anyway, there were two other pilgrims with us that we had known from Orasan, and we decided, okay, fine, we'll go. So we walk into Zubiri, but it was like not right in town. We had to like walk oh, a whole no. other mile. <laughs> well, when we've been walking that much time, walking any more feet is like, like we were so annoyed how far away it was. I mean, really, it's not that far, but when, so anyway, we ended up staying in the, in the house. He was an architect and he had created this house 
into uh, albergue, and it was like three bedrooms, and it was so nice. It was like mm-hmm. small, so there were three bunk beds in each bedroom, and we all ate in the dining room together, and um, he had his kids come, and it had a nice bathroom. It's amazing how even just by like the third night, we're like, oh, warm water, nice bathroom. You know, in our son, we, were all, we had to put in a coin, so we only got the shower for a certain amount of minutes. This mm-hmm. one, like, we could shower for as long as we wanted. Not that we'd abuse it, but it was fun. It's nice, I bet. It's a. I find the second day of walking, the walk from Roncevalles onward, onward, to be one of the prettiest days of the Camino. Um, you're following the river most of the day. There are a number of really lovely little villages along the way, like Borghete and Espinal. Um, and it, it doesn't have the strain on the body that the the previous day does, but it's it's still a nice workout uh, with some good little ups and downs over the course of the day. What do you remember about the walk? Um, pretty much what you just said. I know that this year coming, we're going to stay at Borghete instead mm-hmm. of staying at Roncevalles just because we're going to have a little bit more variety. Mm-hmm. But um, again, I remember it as being beautiful, and I remember you know the beautiful trees when we had bumped into Jorge for from his... Um, his advertising of his albergue and things like that, and then walking back down into Zubiri. But yeah. I remember everything as being beautiful, so <laughs> I'm not a good person to ask. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, the walk into Zubiri has the big medieval bridge um, that yes. crosses the river. Um, it's a great little entry point into the town. And, and the next town, similarly, Larisoanya, um, also has a great bridge crossing and a nice... Uh, spot of the river for swimming, um, which is a great option in the summer. Right, right, right. The one thing that I did differently the last time that I walked um, was actually to go um, substantially further. um, And and this is an albergue that was new within the last few years. Did you happen to go the following day uh, to Zabaldica, which is where there's a church that you can go in and you can actually climb up the top of the stairs and ring the church bell. I re- we remember hearing about that. We saw <laughs> signs to it. But um, David and I were like, I don't think we want to do a detour. So there were many <laughs> pilgrims, friends of ours, that did many of these detours along the next 30 or 45 days. Yep. But David and I didn't do any detours. I mean, just the <laughs> idea of looking up that hill. I remember it. The river was to the left, yep. and up that hill to that church was to the right. And we were like... No, no, thank you. So yeah. we didn't. But who knows? Maybe next time we might. But yes, I've heard about it. The one thing I will say is, is, so in addition to getting to ring the church bell, which for me is a oddly disproportional thrill, um, it's also one of the best, I think, albergues of the opening stretch because it offers what you liked so much about Orison and what others like about Bailari and Saint Jean Pierre de Port that the it's it's overseen by um, by uh, some some nuns who also um, run the church next door and then voluntary hospitaleros who come in and they provide a communal dinner so they cook dinner and breakfast for the pilgrims who stay there. Everyone eats together around one big table. And um, the facility itself is, is, is quite nice. It's a very comfortable old house. So um, it's a great, great experience. 
The next stretch also has a disagreement in the guidebooks. Um, Briarly encourages pilgrims to continue on to Cesar Menor, whereas uh, Dintamon and Landis say Pamplona. What did you do? Did you stay in the in the big city? We went to Pamplona. I mean, the good thing is, even though Briarly might guide us on things, mm-hmm. we really looked at what mileage we wanted to do, what accommodations we thought they were going to have, and things like that. But I can say that walking from Zubiri to Pamplona, it seemed like forever to get <laughs> into the downtown area of Pamplona. <laughs> yeah, that walk, once you cross into Trinidad de Are, and you're, right. you're sort of walking down that, that busy urban street but then you're yes. still not in Pamplona you still have quite a ways to go it, it can be tiring going through there well you know it's that unknown of how far it is and that's where they have those trees where they all hook together <laughs> and it's absolutely amazing and they just like go on and on and on and on forever and then we bumped into some people that we know because you that's what you do you just keep bumping into people that you know and they said oh we're staying here tonight and we said but we want to stay in Pamplona and the guy said but this is Pamplona and the woman said well no it's not exactly it's really up that hill <laughs> over there and it's the funniest thing about doing this Camino, which I adore, it's like we're there, you know, when we're kids. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? So I'd be mm-hmm. saying to David, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And there's still like another hour. Like you see the church over there, but it's still another hour, hour and a half to get there. Yep. Pretty funny. So Pamplona had that feel for sure. What was what was it like once you got there? What do you remember about Pamplona? Well, we thought, first of all, we always stay in the area that is the medieval area. So that's we always walk straight to like whatever the most center is to get to whatever the church is, the cathedral, and then we find a place near there. And David had found in Beerley's book um, a place to stay, but every everybody we asked, they didn't know what it was. So we ended up staying in Albergue Jesus and Maria. He was, I guess, looking for something smaller. Mm-hmm. And um, again, it was a big, huge albergue, the municipal, and I loved every minute of it. <laughs> and we go in and we meet these other people, and these people that are next to us are from Germany. And I said, oh, I'm so excited. We have these other friends from Germany that we had met in Zubiri the night before, and they were coming. I made them get up and meet them at the front. And uh, it was great. It was clean. It was nice. Um, again, I'd walk around the whole place. It was two floors. Um, the bunk beds were all just sort of next to each other. There wasn't really a wall in between like there had been in um, Ronce Valles. But everything was clean, and they had a kitchen. We got some food. I cooked some simple, made some salads and simple soup upstairs. And there was a whole bunch of Koreans up there, and so we got to know them. And, I mean, I loved every minute of it. I loved every minute of meeting all these people. I would literally walk around up and down the hallways to see who I knew. <laughs> Were you able to make it out of there to visit the cathedral? Yes, we did. For me, the highlight of Pamplona, the, I think there are two. There's the cathedral, and what I really like about it is the cloister, where you can go and walk around the the arcaded um, square walkway that surrounds the, uh, the, the, the open area in the middle. And then the Ciudadela, the star fort that is on the outskirts, which is the former uh, medieval fortress um, that now is a giant uh, open public park. Yes, yes, yes. Wonderful. And we noticed all through the Camino so much public parks. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I remember hearing one 
person we became friends with in Lyon complaining about the government and they don't spend this and that. And on and on, we kept on seeing wonderful public parks mm -hmm. all the way through. With the last few times that I've been on the Francaise, I've gotten into the habit of staying a bit before the city, so either in Zabaldica or Huarte, and mm -hmm. then coming and arriving in the city early in the morning and spending a lot of time there and then continuing on to Cesar Menor to actually mm. sleep outside of the town at yeah. the end of the day. Um, nice. What's your, and I, I see that you also had a short day from Pamplona to Cesar Menor. How did you spend that right. day? At, at that point, David had said, why don't we spend an extra day in Pamplona? But we had really seen a lot of it the day before, three, four hours. Mm -hmm. I mean, that area is not that big when you're in one, you know, just a medieval area. So we decided, and I'm really not one who likes to stop or stay around too long. Mm -hmm. So I, we, then we decided we'd go to Cesar Menor. And um, that was just, um, let's see, it was an hour and 30, 45 minutes to get there. Mm -hmm. um, and we stayed in Albergue Maribel Roncal, who is a woman who has this home, and she's had it passed from generations to generations for her, from her family to her. And um, and it was great. It rained that day. It hailed that day. Wow. Um, we got to meet new people. We got to see former people. And when we were all sort of, a lot of us were sitting around in the kitchen ma making things or talking or playing board games or whatever else people were doing, I turned to um, Julie and John, the one with the cell phone in the river, and I said, you know, why don't we have everybody, there were maybe 35 people of us in this room, why don't we all stand up and introduce ourselves because we had just found it to be so wonderful in um, Orison. So we did that there and um, I love, we loved walking around the town and going into the church and... Yeah, it's a it's a great little spot and one of the things I like about staying in Cesar Menor is, you know, in the over those first few days between Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port and Pamplona, people often follow very different schedules. Some people will do it in three days, some in four, some will take a day in Pamplona. But once you're all together in Cesar Menor, you're pretty much going to be together for a while because mm -hmm. people really do follow into a, a very similar rhythm after that. So it's a great spot to get to know the people who will be with you for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. I'm speaking with Rebecca Gallo from Asheville, North Carolina, who's come to speak with me about part of the Camino Frances. We're going to talk about Pamplona to Los Arcos. Thanks for talking with me, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. So what's your pilgrimage background? Uh, so I did my first Camino uh, on the Camino Frances in October, sorry, in May and June of 2012. Mm -hmm. And then just last fall, October, September of 2015, um, I did it again, the Camino Frances, but this time uh, I did it with a 73-year-old friend of mine. So we went at a much slower pace than I did the first time. And we also stayed in quite uh, different accommodations from the first time. The first time I was definitely on a budget, the second time... She wanted to stay in places with sheets and towels. So <laughs> we, we had different experiences. So two Camino Frances experiences, but but very different walks each time. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it was amazing to me how different it can be walking the same exact route um, twice and having such different experiences. Mm. So you have slept in both Pamplona and in Cesar Menor. For those who are trying to weigh those options, stay in the city, go five kilometers after it. What are the advantages mm-hmm. of each approach? Um, well, first of all, Pamplona is the first kind of major city you come to if you're starting in San Juan de Four. So some people who, especially if you're needing um, more supplies, if you are kind of looking for, you know, I'm vegetarian, I felt like, okay, I could actually have a really good vegetarian meal in a big city. Um, you know, if you're missing city life, um, kind of stuff like that, you might want to stay in Pamplona. And it's such a famous city, um, mm-hmm. you know, with, with the running of the bulls and, and all of that. There's plenty to see and to do there. So... Um, but for me, the first time, I was so enjoying the solitude of the Camino that when I got to Pamplona, I was a little overwhelmed um, at the, the number of people walking around, um, you know, people going about their day, mm-hmm. um, doing their, in their suits, you know, going to work, and it just was so um, jarring for me that I decided that I would just have lunch there and keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, and. I was glad I did um, for that time, but the second time that I did the Camino and we stayed in Pamplona, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was in a different mindset, though, I think, and it was a different experience, as I said. So um, Mm. we actually walked in, and some people, like, think of spending actually a couple nights in in the major cities. Um, We ended up just staying uh, less than 10 kilometers outside of Pamplona so that we got there at like 10 or 11 in the morning. So we had the whole day to enjoy mm-hmm. the city. We stayed that night. And then when we left the next morning, we felt like we had seen enough of Pamplona to continue on. Kind of thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, from Pamplona, the traditional stage is about 24 kilometers to Puente La Reina. If you stay in Cesar Menor, mm-hmm. it's about 19 kilometers. What sticks out in your mm-hmm. memory from this walk? Uh, well, you know, Cesar Manor was um, kind of a, a big turning point for me in my first walk because it was the first place that I stayed where, um, well, first of all, I woke up and I could hardly walk because I had a, my heel was so tight. I, I really wasn't sure what was wrong with the, uh, initially. Um, and I decided uh, there was only one other guy left in our room. Um, everyone else had gotten up and left. And mm-hmm. he and I decided we would go out and just, um, have breakfast before we started walking and so I could kind of see what was going on with, with my foot. Mm-hmm. And it was wonderful to come out. We came out of our room and met up with some other people that I had met over the last few days who had also decided to have breakfast before they started taking up. So we didn't leave um, Susan Renore that day until, I want to say like 8.30 or 9 o'clock. And <laughs> it was lovely. It was the first time, you know, as, as you know, and, and People that have walked between a lot of people get up and start walking at the crack of dawn, especially in the summertime because mm-hmm. it's going to get hot. Um, Susan Renor was when I, my body actually told me, I was going to say when I decided, <laughs> but when my body <laughs> told me, nope, um, you need to take this easy, do it your way. And that lesson of everyone does their own Camino, that was when that really started happening for me was, you know what, I don't want to get up at the crack of dawn and, and rush to get to the next place. I want to enjoy this. I am better when I eat breakfast <laughs> before I get going. Um, so that's what I did, and it ended up working out um, much better for me. Uh, 
the whole rest of the journey, actually. Um, and I ended up deciding I'm going to take my time and stretch every morning so that I don't have that problem of my heel <laughs> tightening up. Um, it was also when I decided that I would wake up every morning and write three pages. I'm, I enjoy writing, wow. and I didn't want to miss that opportunity to document my Camino. And I felt like if I waited until I got into a town, um, you know, once you get into a town, you have to do your laundry, you have to get a shower, you have to find a place to eat. Um, you know, you want to catch up and, and sit around with people, enjoy the scenery, enjoy the town. I felt like I would, if I wanted to write then, I felt like I'd be missing out on something. So I decided I'm just going to turn on my little headlamp with the red lights not to wake up everybody <laughs> um, when I first wake up in the morning. And I started writing three pages every morning. And it was kind of nice because I was few people getting up and getting going. And by the time I was done writing, everybody was awake and getting going, and I had already gotten my, my writing in. So a couple big changes for me um, along that route. That's awesome. And with that breakfast in your mm -hmm. stomach, you were ready for the uphill that was staring you in the face because you had exactly. the, the, the climb to the Alto de Perdon. Yes, yes, yes. And the first time, you know, when I had that heel injury, mm -hmm. that's also when I decided I'm going to go a lot slower on that day. And um, mm -hmm. that day I did, I, I, I went super slow. And actually, um, when I got to the Alto de Perdon, I kind of just, um, just before I got to the height, I laid down on the grass for a while and just stared up at the sky for a while. And I was like, gosh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, taking this, my, doing it at my own pace. <laughs> when, and if I feel like laying down and, and staring at the sky for a while, I can do that. And so, um, yep. That's awesome. That, the walk up to Alto de Perón, is, uh, it gives rise to many um, uh, Don Quixote jokes. You're, you're climbing up towards the, uh, the turbines or more poetically the windmills. And uh, mm -hmm. it, you finally make your way up to the, the ridge line, and then you have that great sculpture of the uh, mm. crew of pilgrims all lined up, their horses. Um, it's just w one of the perfect photo ops on the Camino. I'm sure you took a photo there as well. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> we did. And for Americans, it's, um, you know, it's plenty of Americans that are on the Camino now ha are on it because they saw the movie The Way, and that's one of the first things that I feel like when you're walking the Camino, um, you see that you're like, oh, this was in the movie. <laughs> um, so so that's another, making it all the more um, an opportunity for photos, uh, more so than it was even before the movie came out. And one of the cool things from up there is on a clear day, you can see the rest of your walk um, laid out in front of you on the other side. You can see all the villages that you're headed towards and just the full way it all um, sprawls out in front of you. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, too, depending on which direction you look, because if you look back, um, I believe, over the statues, that's where you came from, mm -hmm. and then you're going basically down the other side. Um, and it was my second Camino... Um, I did a lot more looking back. My, my friend that I walked with, Lois, um, you know, we, it's just something we picked up on that 
um, it was good to once in a while stop and look back from, from where we'd come, especially when we looked forward <laughs> and saw how far we had to go. <laughs> so. so leaving behind Alto de Perdon and its 40 windmills, there's a there's a rocky little descent. It's it's not the most fun little downhill of the Camino, and you've still got a little ways to go to your next chance at food. It's about three and a half kilometers down that from uh, the Alto to Uterga, um, and you spent the night there, right? I did. Yeah, we spent one night in Uterga, um, and again because the second time I did the Camino, we were going a lot slower, so mm-hmm. we. Um, only went from Caesar Mayor, actually, we stayed that mm-hmm. time, um, to Uterga. And, and for that very reason that we knew that there was that climb um, and that there was then that steep descent, we would look at our book and look at the elevation changes to determine how far we were going to go on any given day. Um, if there you know, were a lot of ups and downs, we weren't going to walk as far distance-wise. Um, so we decided... You know, we're going to stay there. The other thing was that we wanted to go to Unate the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't want to keep going after the, you know, after climbing up to the Alto de Perdón and then going down that steep descent. We didn't want to then on top of that <laughs> put the detour out to Unate. So mm-hmm. we stayed in Uterga with the idea that we would go to Unate the next morning. Yeah, and it's a beautiful detour. So from Uterga, it's mm-hmm. just two and a half kilometers to Murutabal, where you can take the detour, and it's a couple extra kilometers on your day, but Eunate is one of the mm-hmm. most photogenic spots, I think, along the Camino. So describe it for people who haven't seen it. Um, for people that haven't seen it, it is, and, and you know, I might not be the best expert on, <laughs> on all the history of it, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, I believe it's octagonal, um, yeah. and it's a nice Templar um, church. Um, unfortunately for us, we got there too early to actually mm. go inside, so it's one of those things where on my next Camino, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it doesn't open for people that are going, you might want to check and see. I knew that it didn't open until 1030, mm-hmm. um, so we did take our time and have breakfast and walked slow, but we still got there way before um, the 1030, and we decided we wanted to continue on. So, so we did have friends that went in and actually went with a private guide um, uh, into the church and learned all kinds of stuff about the um, pagan symbolism Mm-hmm. And all the things with the solstice and how the sun comes in at different places, different times of year, and all the symbolism to that. So there's a lot there for people mm-hmm. that are, um, and I would have loved to have done that tour, but I didn't know it existed <laughs> <laughs> um, at that point. But uh, for those people that love that kind of history stuff, there is a lot of it there. And especially um, that connection between all these pagan traditions that were then um, turned into uh, Catholic um, uh, traditions for various reasons. So yeah, and well, you know, I've been inside it, and it it is very pretty inside. But I would say definitely the the highlight is is the outside where you have that yeah. the, the beautiful church, and you have this arched wall that just goes around mm-hmm. it, um, and the fields sprawling out around it. It's it's a gorgeous sight, even if you can't go inside. It is, it is. And a lot of people, um, we, we got there and there was a whole bus group that was there um, just exploring the outside. And um, I remember a friend of mine that, that went on the tour saying 
that not all the arches line up exactly as you think that they should, and there's some reason that they're off-center, and I can't remember it for the life of me. And I've also heard that there used to be a an albergue out there, but there isn't anymore. So I think that would be wonderful if you know you could stay out there at some point and kind of be in that space for an extended period of time. But maybe in the future. <laughs> yeah, it seems to come and go. Uh, maybe depending on when hospitaleros are around, but uh, but yeah, definitely not in service right now. Hopefully again soon. From there, it's yeah. a short walk back up to Obanos, uh, a nice little mm-hmm. town where you've also spent the night. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, yep, because on, on my first Camino, I was injured that day, so I didn't go all the way to Point Delivery and I stayed in Obanos. Yeah. And there's a you know interesting story behind Obanos. There's a, there was an Aquitaine Duke, Guillermo, who they walked the pilgrimage to Santiago together, and then he killed his sister when they were returning. She decided that she wanted to become a hermit and I guess he was resentful that she was leaving him and uh, immediately after that he was he was contrite he regretful and he uh, he returned to Santiago to pray and then decided to stop in Obanos on his second trip home and he apparently wept for his sister until he died and his skull is still kept in the church there I don't know if you uh, happen to see a skull in the church but it's no, gu- it's, it's Guillermo's. <laughs> okay, yeah. you know it's funny because I did, um, I did meet a guy who was who in Caesar Mayor was telling us um, that story, but it was in, my Spanish is not that great, so ah. I got now that you're saying the name Guillermo, I'm like, oh, now it's all coming together <laughs> with what he was talking about. Saying, hey, this is coming up. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. Now I get it. Um, why is he telling me? A, why is he telling me yep, about this guy yep. who killed his sister? This doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's one of the things on the Camino too is knowing all that history and you know how much do you put your guidebook or what guidebook versus how much you're just walking along and um, you know it's it's a very interesting dynamic of. Um, learning about and 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 the pieces that you do learn and the pieces that you that you go depending on who you're walking with, mm-hmm. what they know, what their guidebook says. Um, it, it's just a very interesting piece of how the Camino works um, mm-hmm. with regards to that history. The stage for many people ends uh, a couple kilometers later in Puente La Reina, um, and mm-hmm. uh, I guess you would have passed through here in in the morning on a couple of occasions, yeah. and. Yes, yeah. It's a beautiful spot. I've been happy to spend the night there uh, a few times, um, always with the Padres Reparadores, their long-standing albergue at the entrance to town. And I actually, the one time I've ever seen a running of the bulls, it happened in Puente La Reina. It was, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty small, but, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> an interesting uh, thing to behold. So um, it's a beautiful yes. town. What do you, what yes. do you remember? Um, we actually stopped for lunch there, and I remember that day it was kind of a little drizzly, but it was still beautiful. Um, there were still people out over the Saturday. Um, this is my most recent time. Um, and this was uh, September, and we saw a lot of the um, red peppers mm-hmm. hanging to dry from different people's balconies, um, which just made the scene all the more, you know, Typical of or what you would expect as you as you walk through, um, and then of course Plantel Arena, meaning the bridge, mm-hmm. 
that you get to um, just past the, the tourist information center there. And um, so many historic bridges along the Camino and just beautiful um, bridges. And I've, I've even seen um, images of, you know, bridges of the Camino. Uh, and, and there are. They're just amazing to see, too, for some of them, how long they've been around. Um, and that some of them were specifically created for pilgrims to get from point A to point B. So... Mm-hmm. Santa Labrina is just another one in that um, long line of, of fantastic bridges, too, along the Camino. Yeah, well, you think about just what an impediment water was to pilgrims back in the day, where, you know, many people don't know how to swim, but even if you did, you don't want to have to, you know, manage that with, with mm-hmm. your, your possessions on your back. And so many were subject mm-hmm. to whatever unethical, sketchy ferryman was there with his boat, charging whatever he felt like. <laughs> charging so mm-hmm. a bridge could right. be a pretty r- remarkable thing and you know for some of us who've ever been who've encountered a an a a, a, a creek af- during a particularly heavy raining rainy season on camino we too recognize just how disconcerting <laughs> it can be to face an unbridged stretch of water mm-hmm. absolutely so that is the end of the first stage traditionally on this stretch. The second mm-hmm. stage mm-hmm. is usually about 22 kilometers from Puente La Arena to mm-hmm. Estella. Um, and mm-hmm. for me, this is a really memorable stretch. I mean, I just feel like there are a lot of really great parts of this walk. Um, it starts with five kilometers out to Manieru, a small place. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one uh, along here where you've spent the night, right? Yeah. Yeah, we stayed in Manieru, um, and pardon my lack of Spanish pronunciation. <laughs> um, we stayed there this most recent time in a lovely hostel that definitely was not there my first time around. Um, and uh, it was, I enjoyed the hospitality there. Um, it's Abrega Lagoria, I believe it's called. And um, to do the, the laundry, um, you know, we did the laundry inside, and then we went to hang it outside on, on some of those drying racks as our typical alone Camino. Um, and actually, right outside the albergue, there's this fountain, and one of the women there was explaining that that was the fountain where women traditionally washed, washed their clothes. Um, so it was, um, you know, kind of this historical significance piece of us washing our clothes and hanging them out there uh, right next to the place where historically um, women came to wash their clothes. So... Um, and a lovely little town. Um, and I noticed, um, I talked to her that it was building another albergue there um, <laughs> that he was hoping to have up running within the next year. Um, plenty of, that was one big change from my first Camino in 2012 to this most recent one in 2015 was the sheer volume of um, new um, restaurants and albergues and higher-end accommodations. Um Somebody told me that, um, you know, the Spanish used to recommend to their kids to, to leave the country to get work. And now they're saying, go on the Camino and open an <laughs> or a restaurant um, because it's getting so popular. Um, mm-hmm. And that was true. I saw that in Manaru. It's a few kilometers from there to the, the hill town of Sirauki that is appears in the distance and um, encourages you to keep walking because you just see it sitting up there on that hill mm-hmm. for basically that whole walk from Manieru. Um, a lovely um, old hill town, and uh, and then a great stretch of um, Roman road and Roman bridge coming out the other side. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and that Berlin Bridge was significant over the, the Rio Salado. Mm-hmm. Um, the, on my first Camino, I had stopped there with a bunch of people and, you know, went down by the creek and put our feet in the water and um, enjoyed our lunch and everything. Um, and just after that bridge, there is now a memorial to a person who died on the Camino. And my first year, um, we after, you know, spending our time at the bridge at the creek there, got up there and they were the family of the man who had died was actually building that memorial um that very day they were putting it up because that was the day that he died the previous year um and his family had come out and previous um children that i talked to had said that they had seen someone carrying um this silver cross on his backpack and i think you know some of the other family members had like the the cement in their backpacks um, to to help to put up the memorial and everything. And so um, it was really quite touching to come upon that family. They had just finished building the memorial, and they were sitting there just kind of, you know, reflecting um, on the journey and the journey that their, you know, father and husband had taken. And, um, you know, and so after that, there was a lot of reflection among the pilgrims of, you know, what it would be like if this was, you know, your last day walking on the Camino. And, and I think, um, you know, and a lot of people talked about, you know, you wonder, was, was he alone or not, especially on the Camino, because there are so many people um, around you and that are coming by and everything. And, and, you know, a lot of us are talking and would like to think that, you know, either he was walking with someone or that someone came along quickly enough that um, his last days and, and definitely his, his, memories um, up until that point of the Camino were hopefully as wonderful as the ones that we had had up until that point. Mm. And so that was pretty significant um, on my first journey. Um, On my second journey, that bridge just before it, um, Mm -hmm. I had on my second journey, I picked up that French guidebook, the Mme Dodo, Mm -hmm. um, because for people that want to stay at non-Rogues, that private room, um, the Miandigo actually lists um, the places that have private rooms and how many people can go in a room and the cost of those rooms. And mm-hmm. since that's what we were doing on my second Camino, I picked that guidebook up, and, and I know French, so that was helpful. But in that guidebook, there was a monastery at a loft, um, A-L-L-O-Z, I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had read that they would take in pilgrims, so we had this interesting experience of you know, hoping we were going the right way because we couldn't see it from where we started. We walked along the road. It wasn't really a shoulder. When we did get to it, I rang the bell, and no one came to the door. So <laughs> uh, we weren't sure what was going on. Then we went and saw where the church was and noticed that there was a sign that Sunday Mass was at 11, and this was out on a Sunday, and it was right about 11.30, so we figured that they were probably still in Mass, and we didn't want to walk in, you know, a half hour into the service. So we waited. <laughs> um and some folks came out and spoke to spoke to us in Spanish. And my first Camino, I did not learn any Spanish, um, mainly because I had been trying to learn Italian for another trip I was taking that year, and I, I didn't think it wise to try and learn too many <laughs> languages all at once. But for my second trip, I had promised myself that I wanted to learn some Spanish. And not necessary, necessarily, but I really enjoyed the experience and was thrilled that I had that because I was able to talk to these folks that had been inside at the service and one of the women just kind of, you know, took me by the hand, led me back to the same door I was at, rang the bell again. (laughs) Still nobody came, but she told me to wait. They would come and take care of me. 
and they have a lovely sister there that's in charge of hospitality. Um, and she came out in full habit and was delighted to have us and um, showed us, we asked us if we wanted, you know, a room together or separate. We each had our own rooms, our own bathrooms, which, you know, is just pure luxury on the Tuesday. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, she served us our meals, which were lovely. We had the opportunity to go to any of the services in the church there. Um, and it was just such a beautiful, quiet space to be able to reflect um, after that first, you know, week or so at that point on the Camino. And so that monastery, um, Maria de Jose, it was, um, was just a really lovely experience um, and definitely worth, I'm trying to remember if it was maybe 30 or 35 years for the night, but it included the meals and just the hospitality and privacy, and it was just lovely. That's awesome. Um, I, I'm sure people are grabbing pens right now and trying to scribble down the name <laughs> of that place. Exactly. I, I will say the hospitality, the hospitality nun did not speak any English. So <laughs> it would be helpful if you know some Spanish. If you I, I bet. Um, from from Siraki or from the monastery to uh, Estella, it's about 14 kilometers. You pass through Lorca, which is a very pilgrim-friendly little place, um, Via Tuerta, mm-hmm. and then you arrive in Estella, which for me is is easily one of my my favorite cities on the Camino or towns. It's I, it's set on this um, on a river in this really narrow passing through um, through hills on both sides, formerly topped with castles on each side. Um, it's very shady, lots of trees. It's just a really pleasant place. What do you remember of your time in Estella? Um, the first time when I first came out there, I stayed in the parish albergue there. Um, mm-hmm. And I loved that experience of staying in parish albergues, except at that point in my Camino, it was my first one, and I wasn't quite aware of how they operated. Um, mm-hmm. And so when they offered, um, you know, what did I want to stay for the community meal, I was just so exhausted at that point. Um, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. <laughs> um and I'm kind of um, bummed that I, I didn't take advantage of that um, at that point of sitting down to eat in community um, with other pilgrims over a meal that some had helped to cook. Um, after that first one, um, I stayed at plenty of parish albergues along the way and just loved those experiences of, um, of staying in those spaces, and especially because... I love cooking, um, and you're not required to cook at the parish albergues, but if you want to help with preparing the meal, um, you can do that. Um, and also as a vegetarian, it was nice because they would, um, you know, if I let them know that, they were always very accommodating and saying, oh, you know, well, we'll set aside a little salad for you and um, or, or whatever. You know, they wouldn't put the chorizo in the, you know, they'd pull out a little bit of a lentil soup for me ahead of time or something, which, you know, I never expected and fully expected that I would just, you know, make something myself, but it was lovely when they were so generous with that. Um, but if they, uh, yeah, I didn't <laughs> take advantage of that community meal, but I, I still regret that. Um, <laughs> and then the second time we did stay in a, um, in a uh, pension there um, on one of the, I don't know how many squares there are, but this large square <laughs> that had a gazebo kind of thing in the middle and I loved it. In the evening, we sat out on a bench, and 
the little boys came out were playing soccer in the square and you know, little older ladies were walking across right in the middle of their soccer game, and the boys would just stop and wait for the lady to cross, and then they'd keep playing. <laughs> and I just thought it was such a neat, you know, slice of life. There was a little, like, two-year-old kind of roaming around, and the boys made sure that, you know, the ball didn't, you know, knock over the two-year-old at all. And it was just such a lovely place to sit and watch a whole community um, in the evening kind of doing their own thing but also being aware of everyone that was around them and um it was it was just a very um kind of delightful place to stay i felt like yeah i i could live in Estella, and there are a couple of um, <laughs> really spectacular churches there when you arrive in Estella and you walk through the town on the left side of the river there's the Iglesia de San Pedro de la Rua, which is up this large, um, impressive set of stairs just sort of looming over that half of town. And on the right-hand side, mm-hmm. there's Iglesia de San Miguel, like most churches devoted to the archangel, set on a very high position overlooking the, the right side of town. And um, just a really um, spectacular entryway to, to that church. The one challenge in Estella is it can actually be hard to get inside those churches. I, I think with San Pedro, mm-hmm. your only chance of getting in there is if you go at mass, but, um, but they're mm-hmm. still like really um, impressive uh, old structures. And it's, that reminds me of a long mistress. One of the things that we kept um, my friend Lois, as it was her first Camino, um, just being stunned at the, I mean, if you know the history of Spain, this all makes sense, but being stunned at the um, incredible um, churches that were in these tiny little towns, um, <laughs> and that they could have two and sometimes three churches, all with tons of gold and um, very ornately done um, and, you know, made you wonder, like, okay, back then, were there a whole lot more people here that they needed not just one but two of these? Or um, And then, of course, that brought up conversations of, you know, the Spanish and, you know, all the lands that they conquered and all the gold that they um, brought in and, and all of that kind of stuff. So a lot of history with regards to, you know, just your numbers of, of churches and their ordinateness, um, especially in this area. Well, and these towns have seen some dramatic population shifts over the years. Like one of the most incredible exactly. things to me about Estella is the Black, the Black Death struck Estella in 1348, 1362, 1380, 1400, and 1420, and it cut the overall population of the town in half. So, you know, that's just one example of the kinds of huge populations that have um, affected uh, communities like Estella in the north. Some will encourage mm-hmm. 21 kilometers to Los Arcos. Others will suggest a longer stretch to Torres del Rio. We'll take the shorter option today, 21 kilometers to Mm -hmm. Los Arcos. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know that the the stretch out is uh, you pass through a a suburb, Ayegui, a couple kilometers away. And then Mm -hmm. the highlight for many pilgrims of their opening week on the Camino comes uh, at the Monastery of Irache, where there is the wine fountain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that wine fountain... um, you know, it was very interesting. My first, you know, um, I had stayed in Estella, so 
I got there at like, you know, eight in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that doesn't stop people from having a a glass of wine. And um, on my, and I've also heard that if you don't get there early, it's all gone. Um, I've I've heard that people come in um, and fill up big jugs of wine. Um, I know of some pilgrims that filled water bottles with wine and Mm -hmm. then, quickly realized as the day went on what a poor decision that was mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for for walking, especially as you were there in the summertime. Um, and, you know, the idea that you want to leave from there for, for the other pilgrims to enjoy. Um, my first time there, there was actually like a plastic wine glass there, and it was kind of like the community cup, you know, the mm-hmm. person that was there, you know, poured a little, took a sip, and then gave it to the next person who, <laughs> who poured a little in this very same glass and passed it on. So um, if you're, you know, very germ conscious, you <laughs> want to prepare accordingly. Um, but I, I never feared that on the Camino, so I just uh, joined in with that. And um, I remember my first time that an Irish woman told me that, and I um, wasn't aware of this, but I saw it when I got there, that they actually had a webcam there. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had called her family and said, I'm I'm going to be at this thing <laughs> at this time and, you know, look for me on the webcam. So it's just um, one of those examples of, of technology along the Camino and uh, how things have, have certainly changed yeah. <laughs> over the last thousand or so years. So It's fascinating to look at that webcam on a Sunday morning when there are a lot of really unhappy pilgrims because the gate to the wine fountain is locked. Um <laughs> 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 Not yep, that I've yep, ever I done that. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the one disadvantage of staying in Estella is is not only do you get to the wine fountain so early, but you also get to the monastery so early. And it is possible to visit mm-hmm. the monastery, take a tour of the place, but that's not the case, obviously, if you're getting there at 7.30 or, or 8. So it's just right. something to keep in mind yeah. if you take a different trajectory. From there, it's uh, mm-hmm. another hour of walking or so to... Via Mayor de Monjardin. This is another town that you'll see in the distance because it's set uh, on the bank of one of the very few hills in the area. You'll see castle ruins up on the top of it, some vineyards. It's a really nice spot and an important spot for a break because after Via Mayor de Monjardin, it's a really long stretch mm-hmm. of pretty much nothing. Yeah, <laughs> um, definitely. And it's it's funny you mentioned um, we've we've talked about towns and hills and yeah. um, Lois and I noticed noted on our most recent Camino. You know, it seemed like every single time you got to your end destination, it was a town up on a hill. Like, why did uh-huh. they do this at the end? <laughs> you know, um, but um, but you know, we know why for strategic reasons and all mm-hmm. of that. But um, yeah, and that last stretch, you know, this was actually on my first Camino. Um, I, you know, carried my pack and, and kind of went along and stayed in albergues. Whenever I felt tired, I just found a place to stay. On the second one, since um, my friend, you know, being 73, she said, I'm only going to do this once and I want to enjoy it. And so <laughs> we did stay in, in pensions and, and things like that. And and I figured that she would send her pack ahead and I never imagined that I would. Um, mm. But she said, you know, you've done this, you've proven yourself you'd enjoy it a lot more if you sent your pack too. So this was actually one of the first days that I didn't have my pack, um, which is why it was significant for me. So even that long stretch, um, it was definitely uh, a learning experience to be on the other side of that because I know there's a lot of judgment 
um, on both sides um, from people that carry their packs versus don't um, along the Camino. And uh, Lois and I had this interesting conversation of when people asked me why I wasn't carrying my pack, what I would say. And I, I said, you know, I could tell them that I'm not carrying it in case I have to carry you. <laughs> <laughs> um, or I could, you know, act surprised like, oh my gosh, I don't have my pack. You know, where did I leave it? I must have forgotten it or something. Um, and Lois then ultimately said to me, she's like, you know, you don't need to give an explanation. It doesn't really matter. And that was a huge thing for me that, mm. um, you know, my first Camino, I felt like I, I learned a lot about letting go of my judgment of other people, um, especially with that, you know, everyone does their own Camino kind of theme. And on this one, I felt like um, it was an exercise to let go of thinking about what other people were thinking of me um, and judging me. Um, and so that was quite an experience. And that's kind of, you know, just something unusual but specific to me that stands out for this day, that that was my first day of having that experience and what that felt like to be on the other side of that and walking without that pack. And I bet that walk to Los Arcos, 12 kilometers of dirt roads, <laughs> generally moving in straight lines around uh, fields. Um, I bet that was a more enjoyable walk. <laughs> it, absolutely. <laughs> I, I would recommend everyone at some point send their pack ahead just for a day to have that experience. <laughs> <laughs> So Los Arcos is another one of those towns that tricks you. You arrive and you think that you're done, but oh no, you're not done. Um, because you probably have at least another kilometer of walking through this long um, uh, stretch of town that's that's in a bit of disrepair um, as you ultimately mm -hmm. wind yourself towards the center, which is uh, perched around the, the small river passing through the town. So mm -hmm. how was Los Arcos mm -hmm. as a place to spend the night? You know, I will admit it wasn't my favorite, but yeah. to, to each their own. Um, <laughs> both times there, we stayed. I stayed in an albergue, um, two different albergues each time, um, which were, you know, both perfectly fine and lovely. Um, but it's, like you said, it's kind of, um, it's a town where there's probably lots of possibility um, mm -hmm. because it is, you know, listed as one of the end routes in, in a lot of the, or one of the end towns um, for this stage in a lot of books. Um, so, it was, again, it was kind of surprising to me that more people had not come into Los Arcos and um, done some more um, work there. But I did um, really, there's, there's a church there, though, that um, even in the morning was just, stunning because they light it up and now I'm not talking inside just sitting outside of it I had mm. we had breakfast outside in a little cafe um, that has tables outside and the church um, underneath the arch had the lights still on and the sun was just coming up so it was just getting light out and it was just such a beautiful scene mm. to sit there and, and have a meal there um, so you know even even in those places that you're at first thinking oh I don't know about that I mean there's always <laughs> You can find beauty in everything along the Camino. So. And that the interior of that church will blow your mind because it's unusual yes. for the route, right? Like most everything is <laughs> Romanesque or sometimes Gothic, but this is this is real Spanish Baroque, and they painted mm -hmm. every inch of that interior. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. You, you get to a point along the Camino sometimes where you feel like, oh, it's another church, but then you'll get to to a church like that and would be like, well, this one's completely <laughs> what I expected, you know. <laughs> so, um, so I would say to people, you know, just 
just stop in every once in a while. And, and also the churches are, um, if they're open, I mean, a lot of places, they're, they're not open. There's not somebody to, to have them open during the day and things like that. But um, they're also beautiful places for, for quiet and reflection, um, especially if you, you know, kind of just need to rest for a little bit and, and be with yourself. And um, it's nice that some of those spaces are indeed open and available for pilgrims to kind of um, have that time that they might need along the, along the journey there. Rebecca, this was great. I really appreciate you taking the time to share some reflections on the stretch with me. It was great talking with you about it. Yeah, this was wonderful. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to bring it all back. As you know, anyone who's done the Camino loves talking about it. So <laughs> thank you so much for that opportunity. <laughs> While I've only spoken with one person about each of these legs of the Camino Frances, I hope that one of the major takeaways that you can get from it is that there are, in fact, a lot of ways to approach these stages of the Camino Frances and really just about any Camino. Kathy spent less than an hour in Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port before she was off walking. I showed up the night before and left in the morning, and I've had a really long, lingering day in Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port. Kathy spent the last time in Roncevalle. Next time, she figures she'll stay in Borghetti. Some people stay in Pamplona. Some don't. Rebecca's stayed in a number of smaller places, not where the, the guidebooks would suggest that you stop. And she's even stayed in a monastery that's two kilometers off-road. There are lots of ways to structure your day. So don't view the recommendations here as, as automatic, as musts. Think deeply about the experience that you want to create for yourself on the Camino Francais. Seek out the information that's out there, but ultimately make sure that you're crafting the experience that's aligned with your own interests and passions. Do you have fond recollections of the walk from Los Arcos to Santo Domingo de la Calzada? Or maybe from Santo Domingo onto Burgos? If so, get in touch. I'd love to talk with you about it. My email is CaminoPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks as always for listening. Thanks again to Kathy and Rebecca for being the first guinea pigs in, in this little project. And um, I hope that many of you will join on in the upcoming month so that we can fully recreate the Camino Frances. As always, you can find the podcast on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on northerncaminos.com. Thanks as always. Three episodes in less than a week. Trying to make up for lost time here, so I hope you're enjoying it, and I'll be back with you soon. <laughs>